0: You are listening to Find The Outside The Podcast. I'm Tim Merry. And I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. This week on the podcast, we dig into leadership, a much-talked-about topic in the world, let's be honest. But very specifically, (laughs) we want to talk a little bit about leadership right now, leadership in the time of COVID. What does it mean? What are the leadership challenges and conversations we're facing kind of inside ourselves and in our own hearts, in our work? And as we look out at the kind of political landscape, the leadership landscape in the world, where are we turning for uh, inspiration? I know Tuesday, I just said to you that I turned to a particularly delicious lemon cake this weekend for inspiration. (laughs) It was, I think it might've been the best cake I've ever eaten in my life. And that's saying, I mean, I've eaten a lot of cake, mate. Mm. And anything you want to say just to get us going before we dive in?
1: About where I'm turning? Well, I mean, Lemon Cake sounds good for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. I am um, uh, more into TV than I ever have been in my whole life, maybe. Really? Like, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I watched Unorthodox. Did you try that on Netflix? Yes. Good show. <gasps> so good. I just finished it last night, just like completely devastated by the... Like it just felt like a real ending, right? Like that's how it would end. Right. And uh, also Jane the Virgin, which is yes. completely different from unorthodox, but just to kind of like say, since you said lemon cake and we just seem to be talking about indulgences, I'm indulging in TV in a way that I probably haven't in my life. Like, huh? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: I'm on season three of uh, Killing Eve, Oh which I'm th- thoroughly enjoying. That's really good. And then I also uh, have downloaded a computer game, which is really fun. And it's Total War Warhammer. And so (gasps) I I have taken on the dwarf race and I'm currently securing my dwarf lands and in various diplomatic negotiations with the other dwarf lords, trying to build a dwarf confederation to hold off the vampires and other kind of large uh green skin tribes and it's so much fun it's ridiculous I and there's like magic in it and it's like it's like a strategy fantasy world it's brilliant
1: that sounds great
0: it's so much I mean, fun
1: not for me to do but i can understand that it feels like is well are any of your kids <laughs> doing it? With, I mean, great for you yeah exactly <laughs> that sounds perfect for you
0: oh it's uh, great i love it it's like is ollie tuna. doing it with you at all Ollie, Ollie, Ollie is desperate to, Ollie, that's my son, Ollie, everybody, he's like 11 years old. He's desperate to get on the game. And I've said to him that I need to be two weeks into it. So by the time he gets into it and starts asking me relentless questions, I actually have answers to them. Yeah. So he is providing a run, co- running commentary of advice every day on what he thinks I should be doing. He actually fought a battle for me yesterday and won, which was great. So he was, I was pretty gonna happy say- about
1: that he's probably going to loop you, right? Like you said two weeks, but he's probably going to like get on and be like in three days, like.
0: Oh, oh, he'll be like discovering things and then telling me all about it. Oh, there's no doubt.
1: Nice, nice. You know what? We're all doing what we can. All of us, little
0: 11 year old boys included. Like everyone's just trying to figure it out, aren't they? You know? Mm -hmm. And so we kind of said, we're going to talk about leadership. Like, you know, Jen fired through this kind of like, what are we inviting into our leadership in this kind of unprecedented time? I feel like the words leadership and unprecedented are highly uh, used at the moment.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So anyway, let's see if we can't bring a bit of the outside perspective and, and, uh, and, and content into this. And, and, and you and I have chatted about it and said, we're going to, we'll talk a little bit about the personal we'll talk a little bit about our work and we'll talk a little bit about the political landscape and we'll probably meander in and out all of those rather than being like personal work political. I think we'll Mm -hmm. probably roll, you know, I think we will roll through them all, but that's the content we're heading into. And I know for me on the, just to start a bit on the personal level though, part of what I've been experiencing is these, this kind of tension between the multiple experiences I'm having And, and, and like, you know, I said it on a call earlier when we were checking in with one of our clients, you know, this kind of like experience of like horror in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. you know, and what's happening in the world, you know, and like how COVID-19 is making visible the inequities that we all knew were there just in very, very obvious ways, you know, Mm -hmm. let alone, you know, the shooting we've had in Nova Scotia with 22 people killed, uh, Let alone uh, the struggle I see for, you know, parents who I love and care about in terms of caring for their kids right now. I mean, like there's so much going on that's hard to witness and Mm -hmm. sad, you know, Um, and then just like having the space in my own life where like sadness is coming up and like, there's a big, I've got an enormous amount of training about just like capping that and getting on, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's been a big piece of like letting myself be sad, you know, Mm -hmm. as part of Mm -hmm. all of this, like actually just like letting that be part of Mm -hmm. my life. Like it's okay to be sad. And like I ended up writing three pages of why I am sad the other day. Oh you know, good. Because I was like, I'm feeling so sad. Why am I feeling sad? And so uh so I was told to use my left hand and yeah. then write all the reasons I'm sad Great. with my left hand. Great. And uh, and I was like, oh well that's why I'm feeling sad. Look, I filled three pages with my left hand of why I'm sad. And that was like helpful to understand. And then on Great. the other side, there's beautiful things happening with my with my relationship to my kids, my relationship to Katie and my wife. Um some some getting out to do loads of walks. I feel some of the fittest and healthiest I've ever felt. And it and it and it's hard, like sometimes it's hard to like feel guilt. I feel guilty that I have mm. sadness and naturally mm-hmm. I'm feeling happy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much mm-hmm. shit happening. But yeah. like I have moments of like real joy, you know. And then on the other side, there's times where like I'm just feeling so down and I'm like, oh God, where's all the happiness? You know, and so it's this kind of like. I feel like it's not even that I'm swinging between the two. And I think that was my early experience here. It's more Mm. actually that it's like, well, how do I just live with both? How can I hold both and them not be in contradiction to each other? That that's actually a lot of what my personal leadership is, is, is not buying into either end of the paradox of what it is to be alive right now, but just kind of holding it all.
1: Mm, That's really great. I love that. Not swinging between, but kind of like holding both. That seems like a real evolution in how I'm hearing you talk about it, right? Just to name and notice that piece. That's really good. Because I think part of what's, at least for me, and so I think probably I'm a person who has somewhat of a universal experience and that I feel like some of what causes the suffering is like having having a feeling and then like. Kind of getting mad at yourself for having that feeling, or like I don't understand why I would have that feeling, or I don't have the right to that feeling, and you know, like that is like a whole layer on top of the actual feeling. So if you can just be okay with being sad, and then okay with being happy, right? Um, I think that it's funny. Last week, you and I—I I think it was last week—we talked about like our stress behaviors.
0: Mm, right? Yeah, that's.
1: I think that that's what I. I would bring forward in my own kind of personal leadership and what's being called out. Uh, I think there's such a level of stress in the air um, that when we think about leadership, it's it's uh, many of us in any given moment are absolutely at our best because stress can bring that forward, but also not at our best. And so I had to laugh last week because we were talking about kind of how we act when we, it's not even pressured, but I think, I think stress is the right word. And, and you piped up and like, and you get irritable. And I was like, yes, I do get irritable. (laughs) It's funny. Just to be clear,
0: everyone who's listening, we had also identified prior to that what my behaviors were. I didn't just like throw that.
1: (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. That's no, that's true. And it's really, really, really true. That is a stress behavior of mine just getting irritable, not understanding. I always, I, I experience it as like feeling really hard headed, you know, like doesn't feel hard hearted. It feels hard headed. Like, I don't get it. What's happening? Like what's, I don't like, I can, I can feel like my brow furrows and my brain tries to kick in. And, um, I find that both uncomfortable. I don't like being irritable, but I have a, I have a huge amount of judgment, self judgment about it right? Like, so then you get into that, that part of it, like, oh, why was I so irritable? And oh, why am I not nicer to people? And blah, 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 blah. and I can get a whole thing about that. So I'm, I'm really like interrogating that right now. What is it that brings up irritability versus like sadness, for example, or defeat, or like all the other amounts of stress behavior one could, or stress response one could have. Is there a flavor, um, to, to when i become irritable or not. and so i'm just kind of in that interrogation right now and trying to notice it and notice when i have little peaks of irritability and when it becomes big and but that's a really um yeah, that has my attention at this very instant. and why am i more irritable at work and not at home? right? same body, same moment, same, you know, like i can be irritable on a call and then turn around and like give all sorts of patience to my kids. Not every moment, let's be honest. Has it ever happen the other way around? Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I just, I just think with my kids, I have a much better sense of why.
0: Right.
1: Like I know why I'm going to be irritable. Like, you know, like this kid looks at me and goes, nope, and flings her boogers at me she doesn't really do that. Then I'm like, Oh, that's irritating. Like I have a much clearer sense of what the trigger is. As you Um, wipe the
0: booger off your face. I mean, I don't know. That was like, that was a horrible image. Look.
1: It was. And it's not actually true. She doesn't do that, but she might want to, if she had the opportunity. Uh, so yeah. So I'm just, (laughs) so I just like, I'm just like, Oh, look, this is the next thing to kind of interrogate a little bit. What is that irritability about what particularly triggers it? And I don't mean, I'm not talking about a trauma trigger. I mean like what happens that then I, I respond with irritability. So that's kind of where I am. But what that brings for me is we talk about this leadership piece is that's my stress behavior or it's one of my stress behaviors. At that same time, we were talking about some of your stress behaviors. And so I just like think people are, many people at any given moment, especially right now, are in their stress behaviors. And so that feels like a question of leadership, both how do you navigate your own and understand your own? And then how do you actually let people you know, you, you said about someone earlier today, like, well, she's just in a really hard place as a client. Who's like just in a really hard place. We can see it, right. We can see that stress behavior. And so for me, that's part of the leadership. How do you actually meet people? Sometimes we create the conditions where people can rise to be their best. And hopefully we do that, but sometimes people are just in a friggin' hard place. And so then how do you just like roll with that as well, yourself and others?
0: And so I feel like there's, there's like a, I feel like, you know, I, I can, I can feel you, you know, like I can feel how that like invites my compassion, you know, and therefore enables us actually to do work together. Cause if all I'm doing is being pissed off with their behavior, there's very little, we're actually going to get done in a useful, meaningful way. Right. right. You know? Nonetheless, you know, when I think about, you know leaders who hold political office right now you know like like my compassion doesn't quite extend that far you know <laughs> <laughs> i'm not like oh boris i'm sorry your speech was so crap over the weekend mm. and what you did was like said don't go outside go outside you know what i mean and it's just like it was such unclear messaging i felt like mm. and there's been i was watching some youtube videos that some mates of mine sent me this morning that were just like it was hilarious you know and um and of course, he, you know, he's stuck, like, you know, or, or, I mean, I actually feel really happy about my Canadian passport at the moment. Like, oh, that's the mm. one I'm like, oh, thank goodness I have this one. And, um, and- Keep rubbing
1: that one in, Tim. Keep rubbing yeah, it I'll in. Just, I'll
0: just, every time I mention it, you know, you can just hear that as an invitation. And then, um, and then, uh, uh you know, and then I look over the border down at Trump and I just, I feel, I mean, just because of who I am, I feel, I, I feel shocked by the type of leadership he's showing mm. in, in the U S but I feel no compassion for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I feel no compassion for Boris Johnson. I don't particularly feel any compassion for um, Justin Trudeau, you know, mm. even though he's probably the nicest to look at of the three of them. I had to, you know, but oh, like, for, for sure. I for mean, sure. He's, he's the hottest. <laughs> if we were going to do a test between those three leaders and which was the hottest, Justin Trudeau wins the hot test. For sure right? Absolutely. Easier to look at than all the others. That helps. I mean, let's be honest. And then, um,
1: which is of political commentary
0: these... from the outside. Well, Absolutely. we would like to suggest that Justin Trudeau is the hottest and therefore is having the, one of the easiest rides. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah, Absolutely. Well, and, um, so that's really interesting. Um, I hadn't thought about it like that. Um, maybe because at least here in the U S it's, well, she's gonna slap an e on this one anyway. It's been a shit show since the man came in office, right? It's not. Mm-hmm, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a little like, okay, if I could find my compassion, might have been spent at this point for that leader under stress I'm exhausted. Um, but <laughs> but I was also thinking like as you were talking about leaders, the part of what I am interested in, or at least this has my attention across these different levels of what is leadership content. Like right now at this moment, what really has my attention is, is sexism is gender depression. Like the experience of women in this moment, um, both because of my own experience, what feels like recently, but also I think, you know, if we look at some of the leaders who are doing some of the best jobs, right. We talk about New New Zealand's prime minister. We talk like there's some women who are doing it here in Ohio. Like there is this viral video about our department of health leader. Dr. Amy Acton, everyone wants to be her right now. Our governor's doing an amazing job, but it is really clear here and he gives credit. Like it's about her, right? And so um, I saw, uh, I'm, I'm curious about the difference in women responding to this pandemic and their leadership and and what we're learning there. And then I'm also, we're really starting to notice, right, um, uh, that the backlash is uh, is it's not that it's not against the governor here, but we're starting to notice like a lot of the backlash is focusing on her. A lot of the governor of Michigan's or Michigan, a lot of the backlash is focusing on that female governor. I'm really interested as women step up into their power in this pandemic, then the backlash against them seems to be so intense, right? Which we see, which is not surprising. It's a gendered, it's a, it's a gendered expression, right? Against, um, women's leadership i'm just really curious though that's really up for me right now i don't think there's more sexism in the world right now i just in the last two weeks it's just feels particularly virulent
0: was it the was it the governor of michigan who had um an escort of armed men and women of color to get her into office is it did, i was just I reading about that I just read oh, about that know. the other day. There was a there was a massive, well, there was a very strong, uh, um, aggressive, um, armed campaign of a white group, white supremacist group, in Michigan, and they went with their guns to the what do you call the the, the government house, the state house, the state house, and were there. And she was so concerned that she ended up. There were two women of color. And, uh, four or five men of color, all that, you know, bore arms, had all the licenses to do it and gave her a citizen escort in, you know? Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Right? Wow. And so, yeah. And so anyway, so just, just, just that article really stuck with me while I was thinking. I Ooh, I share it with even... me if you have it. You know, oh, well, I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah.
1: online that much. Yeah. So I'll send it, I'll it. send
0: it through. I think it was in the guardian. Um, we, you know, which has its own biases, right? But anyway, so one of the things that struck me over twenty odd years in this field, right, is that I would say seventy percent of the time it is women who are stepping up to get the groundbreaking groundbreaking work done.
1: Mm-hmm. Right,
0: it is mm-hmm. not like the domain of women alone.
1: Of course, like yeah,
0: twenty odd years of doing this stuff and all kinds of contexts from like grassroots youth centres all the way up to national and international initiatives, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, there's just been a really significant pattern of women leveraging their positions of power to do good work in the world and to seek transformation and it not being men, you Mm know, or being far less men, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it just, I don't know. It just, it just strikes me when you're talking about, um, you know, sexism becoming like a default response, yeah because it's more comfortable
1: mm-hmm. if it's a
0: behavior that's already established it's more comfortable to be in that than to be in something mm-hmm. different you know what that's actually doing to our ability uh, within our countries to have a good response when like seventy yeah. percent of the people who are actually doing the cutting edge shit that's really innovating in terms of social change
1: mm-hmm. y- you
0: know um I don't know that. That feels like that. That feels like it might actually be undermining our ability to have good responses within our <laughs> within I, our nations <laughs> and their communities. I feel like that may be like a really bad strategic move on the behalf of the human species at this point.
1: I feel like that was a, a beautifully delivered. That was nice. Yes, I think that strategically, it's not very smart. <laughs> and I think the other thing is like, I mean. <laughs> Right. I mean, like, just like, no, I mean, I loved it. Like, right. Like if we quiet the voice of the woman who is leading one of the most aggressive successful responses to COVID in the country, for example, for example, right. Like all of us are hurt by that. Like, and and not like in a, not like a theoretically we're hurt, like more people get sick, more people die. Like, it's not even like a, Oh, we don't have her ideas in the world, right? Like we actually no. have yeah. like a like a, a a definite impact. And then Tim, because of course, you know, these things can't be separated. I'm just feeling a lot of gender stuff right now, but of course, we know and and what's in the news and what we began to talk about with Summer and Brona is there's certainly a race com- dimension oh, to that. Yes. There's certainly a class dimension to that. So if you begin to like look at all of these isms coming up, right, we're just um we are hobbling ourselves in our response because these um structural issues are coming up, rearing their ugly heads in very virulent ways, and we don't have access then to some of the minds and actions and thinking and skill and capacity and effort of what, what we just say, the majority of people. Right.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, and, and like say, we you know we're, we're talking on like a, a, a national level with, you know, at this point, but we're also seeing it within some of the teams we work with, you know, there's actually like in a time of great stress, there's been like a kind of like a, 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 a a a smaller male group that has moved with it. Some of the female, female voices haven't been heard. And as a result, some of the bigger picture of the work is getting lost, you know, like some really important, critical, some of the most transformative pieces are getting lost as we shrink down into what feels most comfortable. Um, And then some of the most uh, creative voices are being cut out of the loop. Some of the most informative voices are being cut out of the loop of the work. Mm -hmm. And, And you and I have just been like, Oh, this is gendered. Yeah, this is gendered. All right. Mm-hmm. And, th- and, and and actually understanding that enables us to be more tactical in our response, you know, enables us to be more deliberate in how we design our process, how we mm-hmm. create the conditions for meeting, who and how and where we insist different people are involved in these conversations, mm-hmm. right? So that That's they right. can be well balanced in terms of gender, but also in terms of the different gifts that those people bring and that are st- are almost inbuilt gender biases, right, then undermine our ability to respond effectively to the work at hand. Yeah. So this isn't like, this isn't just about like, identifying gender bias so we can all feel further shitty about ourselves <laughs> in a period of covid you know where all kinds of nasty shit is coming up and we're all behaving in ways some of which are proud of and some of which we're not but it's like oh if we can build these type of analysis if we can actually see these situations then we can organize ourselves more effectively to counterbalance right. them. but if we don't name them and we don't work with them we just end up rolling forward with them and complaining about right. them, right? And so yeah. this kind of, I feel like that kind of pulling apart that we're doing right now, we can talk about it in terms of the nation, both of our nations or any of the nations we live in, and it can actually feel like it increases my level of powerlessness. Mm-hmm. But our experience is that that's playing out right within the teams we're working in,
1: 100%. right within
0: the communities we're living in. You know? absolutely and so then that analysis becomes real that analysis becomes oh how do I make sure that person's at the next meeting right how do I make sure that person isn't being pushed back so hard on when they're actually bringing a good or how do we lend support what's the right. back channel we can do to help pick up that piece so that person is aware of their behavior of gender bias and that person understands they're on the receiving end of gender bias and it's not that they have it's just a shitty idea we go validate right. that idea right you know and so there's a piece of like the analysis can provide for a deliberate response, I think, That's right. beyond just an emotional one, which I find incredibly useful in our work together as we pull apart. We're not pulling apart these pieces to be armchair critics. We're pulling apart right. these pieces so that we can strategically design for a better way forward and ultima- ultimately for a more equitable world. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Let's just have a more equitable next step, right? Right. So that we can come up with <laughs> That's a, a good start. better result. In that's the next right. six months,
1: you know? That's right. That's right. And I think just to, ins- I think that's exactly right. It's like, so what does that mean we do now? How do we support um, different voices, women's voices? How do we um, give feedback to men on teams so that they actually can receive those voices? Like all of that is is absolutely part of the work. And I just, I'm going back to that. The very beginning of this conversation is, when people are in their stress behavior when they pull back right when they pull back into their stress behavior i think that these these biases are more likely to come out right i'm less reflective of what i'm doing i'm uh maybe going faster and uh, i'm maybe more impatient i'm maybe less able to listen i'm maybe you know what i mean and that can feel quite personal and it is quite personal. And so I like, that's the, the piece around compassion that you said. And when that personal, who do I, who am I more irritable, with who am I, uh, who do I just kind of roll over in a meeting, right? When those, when those personal pieces begin to have patterns, right? Patterns against that show bias, then it's worth us bringing them to bear. Show compassion for the person's stress behavior, notice the pattern and work with the pattern still right it's not it's not an either or you you don't have to have compassion or interrupt the pattern you can do right. both at the same time
0: right lovely i love that so one of the other things did you have like um because one of the what because what can happen is people start shaming each other yeah especially when we're under stress you know so do you have like covid shaming where you live what do you where, mean like,
1: i need you to say more
0: where you've been like you were out walking on the street too close to your friend. You're a bad person. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or like, or, uh, you know, I mean, like there's things like that that seem to happen. Like I go, I mean, I just ignore it, but like there's something also around this whole COVID thing where like shaming somehow is given a permission in a way that like it wouldn't otherwise be okay, you know? And I'm always like, what? well what you, you can't talk to that person like that like you don't know their circumstances you don't know what's going on you're making all kinds of assumptions mm-hmm. you know and it's just like it becomes permissible to shame people somehow when the rules or the or the constrictions are tighter you know um yeah okay, you've got something
1: oh i i um yes i guess i feel like um i haven't heard um direct shaming like oh like to this person you did that but I have you know like again part of why I just try to stay off like people getting on Facebook and just doing rants about what other people are doing right Right. and that feels um and one of the things for sure and I mean I but to be fair like I can feel it when I'm on the trail and people are just like hogging up the whole place and I can't get six foot away I'm like what are you thinking they don't stop and shame everybody but there is a sense of like. We have to take care of each other, and how are you? And and so I think it's that that when people have a sense of like um, threat, then shaming becomes a viable option. Now I'm justified in shaming you because you're a threat, right? You've done something that's a threat to me. And I was listening to a podcast um, with Esther Perel. I don't know if you know her, but she's a really famous kind of relationship expert here in this here. Well, she's all over, but. Um, she's you've
0: talked, to her, you've talked about her before
1: i love her i love her work she's yeah. just kind of revolutionary yeah. revolutionizing how people are thinking about intimate relationships and um she said the problem here is that we all think we have the right information and so and with this lack of clarity around covid we don't know a lot yet like we're learning and but she said with the lack of clarity everyone just thinks their position is right and so then they get to say, if you're doing the right thing based on their understanding of the issue. So, you know, some people think three feet, some people think six feet, some people think mass help, some people think mass don't help, but everyone has an article that supports what they're, what they're thinking. And so it's like this degree of rightness as well as the threat, the very real threat, I think is allowing some of these, like the shaming, like the, um, the 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 level of stress the condemnation the kind of ridicule of other people's experiences the lack of understanding of other people's experiences because i also wondered how much of the shaming that we're seeing tim is class-based because okay yeah go on because we have the capacity to stay in and stay apart and um Walk down. I, I get to get in my car every day and drive to the trail. And do you know what I mean? I just want, like, there's something that can be class-based. I'm not having to live in an apartment building that's overcrowded. That my, I don't have to go out and do my work, right? So that just I, I'm curious if there's less shaming with the people who are, like, just having to get on with some things, whereas I can mostly stay in my house this eight weeks. Have you right? been
0: doing a lot of curtain twitching? You know, do you have that phrase? <laughs> In, in the us the curtain twitches
1: i don't no? know what that is
0: you, you sit behind your curtain and you're like you look out and you watch what's going on the street like you twitch oh. your curtain and then you God. go like gossip about it or you go put it on facebook like the curtain twitches you know like you feel like you're being watched and you're like what is that it's a curtain okay. twitcher
1: i i've never had that i've never heard that but i love it and i think it happens and i'm just curious
0: <laughs> it definitely happens
1: I feel like it happens, I've just like, just class-wise, I'm just really curious if that's happening more in middle-class communities, right? I
0: bet you it is. Because
1: something about amount of downtime, not really being in survival mode, as much as we like to say that we're in survival mode, we're actually not, right? We're not in survival mode, nor are we, and you can tell me about this with the very wealthy, because obviously that ain't my people, but I'm assuming that the very wealthy- Uh, I just winked at Tim, everyone, just by the way. (laughs) I was just giving a little shit there. Um, I'm assuming that the very wealthy also, because they have like increased access to best doctors, best care, may not be doing some of the same judging of each other. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But I just have a question if it's a class thing. It feels like this is likely indicative of that.
0: Well, I feel I have very little access or insight into the very wealthy. But our time may come. You never know if the outside does well, mate. We'll be able to provide analysis and insight based upon real experience there, too. But um, I, d- I absolutely feel like this is a class issue. I do. I do. What you're pointing at in terms of like, it's not really survival. You know, like I'm walking down to the coffee shop and getting a latte before I come in here and do my meeting. You know, and they pass it out to me on an oar. You know what I mean? From like, <laughs> like. Hey, look, um, I, I wonder if we couldn't spend a little bit of time talking about kind of what it's been like to lead an organization in the midst of this, you know? Yeah. Um, because there's the, you know, we've kind of talked about uh, a little bit of our personal, a little bit of the leadership we're seeing in the world and some of the gender dynamics of that. And I wonder if we couldn't just spend a little bit of time before we close on what it's been like to lead really a startup. Like We're right in the middle mm. of a startup, you know? We were just about to like do all kinds of like crazy things in terms of setting up the business in terms of the corporations in the two countries. And then suddenly, wadoosh, in comes COVID. And, um, and so then it's like, what, wow, we've had to like pivot. Haven't we? We've had uh-huh. to like pivot and redesign and go into online platforms and like, uh-huh. like not take massive risks in terms of, kind of like investing in corporate setup and different structures, like really change our plans. We are, I feel like we're distributing leadership to our team in a way we make way quicker than perhaps we would have done Mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, Mm -hmm. because we're able to, because they're stepping up. They have, you know, they have time, they have interest, and we are tanked out with families and the work that we need our team to step up in a way that maybe we Mm -hmm. wouldn't have done if if, if it wasn't uh, codification. And uh, COVIDification, not codification of COVIDification. It's a thing now. I like it. You heard it here first, people. Everyone's going to be saying it. COVIDification. That's it. If they can pronounce it right. So, um so, so. Do you know what I mean? Like we've had to, we've had to really d- kind of duck and dive a fair bit and, mm-hmm. and build the path as we walk it over the last mm-hmm. couple of months. Is there anything you want to add into that?
1: I think. What I might add, I think everything you said is just right, and I think we could um, say more about any bit of it. Uh, I think what I'm holding that I want to share out is um, we're trying to think about who are we in this crisis and trying to give some real attention to that as we go through. So I don't, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. We we haven't yet. No, we went through. Um, The purpose and principles of the company with uh, our team, and we're like, is there is there anything we need to add for this crisis on how we want to be together and what we need to be together, and are there activities we need to drop? Are there activities we need to take on? Are there activities, um, and and who would like to do them? Which is part of how I think more of our team kind of stepped up into some leadership. But I think that the beginning piece that felt so important is who do we as a company want to be in this crisis, Um, and that felt both incredibly important. It felt like it shared some of what we're thinking. You've done some work kind of doing projections for people around their hours and income that I think is incredibly important as we've had to make some hard decisions because they don't, even though it's been a, it's been a beautiful, we've talked about this, this explosion of the work and we are still doing quite well given consideration to how some people are doing. The truth is like not everyone has all the hours and money and income they thought they were going to have this year. And so trying to be as transparent as we can be trying to be as thoughtful as we can be together, um, trying to share it with the team as much as possible, trying to also, however, understanding, um, I'm thinking about a recent budget we put in where we took out the profit for the company, right? Because we wanted to protect our subcontractors, um, making decisions around which of us takes billable work and what that means for the other one in terms of like our own backup and income and class and wealth and so it just I think what I would want to share about our own leadership is I um, I feel like there's been a lot of thoughtfulness and trying to have a lot of thoughtfulness around equity and we'll of course have done some of it really well and some of it not as well. Um, but I feel proud that we're trying to live by, expand, think through, our principles as a company as this happens in this pivot we're not waiting until after I feel like we're not just surviving we're not just hunkering down we're not just pulling back and then at the end of this we'll figure something out I feel like we're trying to figure out as we go
0: yeah I love it because it's it's another one of those paradoxes isn't it it's like there it is a period of contraction for us financial contraction I mean it's like Whatever we're operating at, it's under fifty percent of what we projected to operate at, and it may yeah. be as low as thirty, and it may be as high as, 50, but like somewhere mm-hmm. between thirty and fifty percent in terms of revenue of the business is like right. out the window. Starting March first, definitely April first.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and so like that's a big—that's like a big deal. That's like that's rent and life for people, you know. Yeah, and financial well-being, and so. And so that is it. And and I think what's been interesting for me has been something about like not wanting to compromise on quality, even though we're reducing cost, you know, like really wanting to do whatever we do really well,
1: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: which was ultimately why, I mean, we gave a 10% reduction to that organization because we didn't want to drop any more of our activities because we felt it would have actually disabled Hmm. our ability to truly meet their needs
1: Uh so we're
0: like right well we'll just knock it we're going to knock 10 percent off that will bring us within your envelope Uh you know um and rather than that have a knock-on effect onto our subcontractors what that means is the company doesn't make any profit for this period
1: right
0: right and actually you and i took a hit as well right Right? Yeah. yeah so what it was like the company's profit and then some right right and so um uh, and so I think that's a really, I felt really good about that decision. I felt proud, you know, I felt proud that we took a stand for quality. It felt like we were really in partnership with our client through COVID rather mm-hmm. than scrabbling for crumbs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It felt like we had done the right thing by our, um, uh, our subcontractors in terms of protecting them as much as we could from the impacts, you know, and you and I, fully understood that we could weather that we could weather the cost to us personally and we'd had that conversation with each other you know so i think there is something about all i think you're right there is a lot of consciousness there there's a lot of we are with i like that we are we're taking time to think things through you know and that expansion of like what might our purpose be Uh because any people who listen to the podcast regularly will know that we were working on a statement of climate emergency Mm-hmm. You know, like that's something we were working on prior to COVID. And now we actually think we need an, what's an organizational positioning statement that we need to have? What are some yep. key things we need yep. to say about what we stand for in this world? You know, and uh, yeah, climate emergency is one of those, right? Mm-hmm. But where do we stand around equity? Where do we, uh, so that's just exciting. And our team asked that of us, you know, and then we've got, you know, some of the folks who are freshest to the company beginning to take on and revisit the online courses and say, "Well, what if we could redesign those?" You know, and we've got ideas out there, like maybe we'll just keep all of the online courses for free, you know, forever. But there'll be an forever, maybe. Don't hold right. us to that. But here's an idea. <laughs> but then there'll be an upgraded level where you're facilitated through either in groups or in teams or in uh, communities of practice that are focused on particular content or geography right mm-hmm. and then you would go through a facilitated process you know online that accompanies the online course you know and then maybe there's a tailor-made level even above that and so there's just like all these things that are ge- allowing us to kind of similar although we are contracting we're simultaneously expanding yeah and um uh that that makes it exciting to come to work doesn't it that both of those things are happening yeah but it's not just I... the shutdown it's both right
1: 100%. I feel like we will absolutely look back at this time. I mean, I can easily see that in my life that I'll look back at this time of COVID and see like how I how it shaped me and I grew and I'll tell my grandchildren about this time. Some people are calling it the great pause and I just love that language. I think it's beautiful. I um, know that we'll feel that way, but, um, but I actually think that that's how we'll look at the outside as well. I think that this will be a huge... Um, period of transformation for us in an organization that was just like so beginning and was transforming every second, every day. Anyway, it feels like this will be that. And I, I think, uh, I feel like as I look at it now, I think that the behavior we're having will, will, I will look back and be proud. I don't think we'll be perfect, but I think I'll be proud and that feels really great.
0: And I, and I guess the, the only thing I'll add on there, maybe before we move into the closing part of the podcast is that, um, we are having to expand without any knowledge of what the future is going to be, Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've got, I've got a very limited understanding of exactly what we're going to look like on the other side of this as a company yeah. in terms of a products, in terms of yeah. like, I don't actually know what the, what the shape of it all is going to be, you know? And so we're taking steps and trusting.
1: See the next step and take it right.
0: Yeah, literally, literally. Huh. All right. Hey. Thanks for joining us, folks. <laughs> right. So I would like, I would like to, if you haven't heard of of Gugush, at this point in your life, I would like to introduce you. She is a, an iconic female singer from Iran. Mm. She's known throughout the Persian mm. world. Absolutely amazing. All the way up to the nineteen seventies. I mean, women would style themselves in like their hair and the mini skirts. So anyway, so there's one of her songs I've been listening to recently. It's in on, on one of my plays. It's called It's called M A K H L O U G H by Gagouche, and uh, and it's just wicked. So much of her music I just find so uplifting and uh, good to hear And, uh, and I also feel like it's not a music I would ever hear in Nova Scotia on the radio.
1: Ah, and nice. so there's something I love yeah. about
0: that there's something I love about just listening to something that maybe wouldn't find its ways to my ears if I didn't make the effort to go press play myself
1: you know? mm, that's great okay so the poem I picked is um from a woman named Charlene Carruthers and she just said this was um fine to share it's a it's a it's a poem related to COVID. Yeah, because she lost a family member to COVID. But why I wanted to read it is it feels to me like in this talking about leadership, about how we could perhaps lean on, look to our elders who have been through major world upheaval right? Most of our elders may have been through some major world upheaval. And so this is, so this is just, um, it's to her uncle, but it's actually to her ancestors. And so just kind of like wanting to read it. So Charlene Carruthers, it is called old and black, a prayer. I will watch my relatives grow old. So old that they remember battling 25 tyrannical presidents. So old that they know paper food stamps and free land. So old that they meet my great-granddaughter's daughter's best friend. So old that they remember the one time so I don't have to. So old that they watch this empire fall and never strike back. So old that they rest and witness us win. Yeah, I thought that was nice. It's really nice. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Thank you.
0: And the name of the author again?
1: Her name is Charlene Carruthers. Great. Yeah. And so...
0: Thank you, Charlene.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it for this episode of Find the Outside the Podcast.
0: Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.
1: We have new episodes of the podcast available every Tuesday. If you'd like to get every other Tuesday, excuse me, if you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com.
0: Though we are doing a lot of vlogs So there's vlogs on Tuesdays On, on the other Tuesdays right. That there are podcasts, so That's all happening This is such uh, a
1: good day
0: Tuesday is It's just a magical day is yeah, Let's be real. I'm pretty
1: sure Yeah Thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you can find links to resources Poems, books, songs Anything we've mentioned During the show In the show notes Over at FindTheOutside.com Backslash podcast Or in the description In the podcast app You're listening to us on
1: You can find the song we played in today's show and every song we played in the previous shows on the playlist we created on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside on Spotify playlists or you can find a link over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast.
0: This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Soundgood Studio.
1: And the theme music for the Find the Outside podcast is by Gary Blakemore. Take
0: care, folks. Have a good one.
1: Thanks.